lose everyone. I'm back, baby. It's Jake C. Lee. I'm great. Everybody else sucks. Oh, huh. oh no. It's every nightmare I've ever had. Excuse me. It's time to check the link. Pretty crazy, huh? But, but it doesn't matter because none of this has anything to do with the show. You know what? You just made the list. <laughs> oh, wait, you serious? Let me laugh even harder. It's all in sports. Sure, we talk about it all the time. Really? No. Game on, everybody. It's all in sports. Uh, Jake Seeley, your host as always, which I think you know, but just in case you're coming from my esteemed guest today and coming from his following, and you don't know, you can follow me at All In Kid. I'm at The Athletic, which, by the way, normally I tell you guys, go to theathletic.com slash all in sports, name of the show. You get 30% off. I'd be doing a disservice. I told you that because right now, if you go there and you go to the draft kit, the fancy baseball draft kit, if you care about that, it's 40% off. So you get that extra 10% and you save yourself an extra few dollars. But like I said, if you like baseball, it's out. There's a bajillion articles in it, which is ridiculous. And they still keep coming. Like we just launched four or five more today. I should know since I'm tweeting and I still don't even know. But in any case, that's how many there are. So go check it out. But we're here to talk about football as always. It is the off season and have some fun with that. So I figured I'd bring out somebody who we kind of developed a little relationship over the past year, and I haven't had on the show yet, and I'm excited to have on the show, is John Daigle, Roto World. Uh, John, first of all, follow him at not Jay Daigle, and I want the I want to know why you have not Jay Daigle. Like I, I want the explanation be, behind that, and then also tell everybody where they find your stuff, how they listen to you, all the good stuff going over with your company and your business and all that type of stuff. There are two explanations. The first one being that in 2009, I was a donkey and was trying to hide my profile as opposed to gain followers <laughs> through this industry. And now I'm just regretting it ever since. And Daigle's <laughs> taken, at John Daigle's taken, at John underscore Daigle's taken. So instead, I'm fighting the good fight with not Jay Daigle. And at this point, it's kind of become a running bit. Because you'll see every now and then Silva and other people stop in and be, hey, and just say on Twitter, hey, why is it not Jay Daigle when you are Jay Daigle? So it makes zero sense, but thus is fun. And it may have to stay that way until I can finally win at Daigle. But <laughs> also just because, uh, I mean, yeah, it's been like that way for so long. And a lot of, I came up in the DFS and poker industry um, way, way long ago, over a decade ago. And you look at those guys who people refer to in real life as their DFS handle. It's kind of like that. If we could go back and have our name as opposed to our handles, we didn't think it would be such a big deal. But here we are today. And then, of course, not Jay Daigle at Roto World, where right now I have, I think the most recent thing I put out was the available targets and air yards tracker, which is something I do annually, which tracks free agents leaving their team and thus leaving vacated opportunity for those who either arrive who are still on the team. How much opportunity those players can soak up, in other words. That and the carries tracker. Yes, which so both of those, especially the air yards, uh, don't share with your friends if you want, but do share. You know, this is always the thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, get the word out there about it. But if you secretly want to win, like maybe you don't tell them that until like week two of the season. Like, hey, right. this is what you missed. <laughs> so, you could have had I, all this extra information. You're the host, but I got to say, I'm actually excited about this because we unfortunately didn't get a chance to talk too long at FSGA. Yeah, no, this, you disappeared. 
And well, I disappeared, but also this year was a madhouse. There were so many people there. Like I was jumping in 15 minutes with every single person. And by the time I turned around, it was one or two in the morning and everyone was off either playing poker or away from the bar where we were all meeting after the events. It was just hard to get with everyone for an extended amount of time. <laughs> so it's funny you say that because I was one of those people who left to play poker the first night or the second night, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so for everybody out there, I was the epitome i preach against it every single year john said do not fall into the sunk cost fallacy and i explain what that is every year for the people that don't know here's the quick version it's basically i compare the easiest version is you compare it to tv you watch this tv show for four years and it starts to suck and you're like well i might as well stick with it to see how it ends that's sunk cost you want to get out but you don't because you feel like you're so invested. So I say that with fantasy players all the time because it's a real tell. It's like, you know, oh, I drafted him in the second round. You know, I still want to like blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, week five, like I just, you know, I, I don't want to move on. No, sunk cost. So that happened to me. I, d- I made the mistake, John. I went to a poker room, the exact poker room I didn't want to go to. I wanted to go to soft money, but I wanted to go to soft businessmen money who didn't really know how to play poker. I went to soft sharks and i sat down and the two guys were talking to each other about last night's poker action and my first reaction was like uh i probably want to leave so they swap dealers as they do the dealer sits down looks at both of them and asks how they finished last night and that's where i was like i need to get the hell out of here and then the empty seat not kidding you a guy sits down into the empty seat says hey sorry i had to leave early last night something 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 whatever and I didn't leave. I didn't leave because I didn't want to walk six, four blocks, whatever, somewhere around that to the, the win. And I should have left and I ended up losing all my money because they didn't care and just called everything. So you're at the mercy of the cards. And you know how it is when you play poker. If you're at the mercy of the cards, you might as well just go play craps. And that's what happened. So I was the bit, I, look, I did this on cause fallacy in real life. I recall waking up to grab coffee in the morning and walking by a table and I saw you there and I talked to you. And even <laughs> at that time, you looked like you were hurting. You were, you were upset. You fell into your pissed. own theory. Yeah. Yep. A hundred percent. We can give the advice and we still do it. Fortunately, it wasn't fantasy football, but let's talk about that for fantasy football. First one I want to talk about, because this is the off season. I don't like to get too much into situations. Like I don't want to talk about Derrick Henry right now because we could talk about Derrick Henry in three weeks, four weeks, whatever, how far away we are from free agency and stuff, whatever it might be, things could change. You know, he could all of a sudden be not with the Titans or something, you know, whatever. So I want to focus a lot on situations that should be relatively the same, except for the first one. The first one, Rivers is officially done. We knew it like he was going to be gone, but we had the official word this week that he's officially, he's gone. He's not coming back to the Chargers. So this is what I want to ask you. Obviously not the quarterback situation because the quarterback situation as of right now, Tyrod Taylor and or rookie. So just knowing that, because we don't know who the rookie might be, but we know the situation is going to be not appealing as it was. How are you right now grading Keenan Allen and Mike Williams for next year and Hunter Henry, the passing game essentially for next year, knowing it's no more Rivers? So the question about Rivers is a big picture question because it's not just Rivers. It's Melvin Gordon, who stated he wants to come back, but we don't know what the team will do with his contract just yet as he's a free agent. It's Austin Eckler, who, yes, they should match as a restricted free agent, whoever else bids on him. But again, it's the Chargers. We've seen them screw up this situation (laughs) time and time again, so we don't know. And of course, Hunter Henry, a free agent as well, who we assume they'll tag now that they have the additional money with Philip 
Philip Rivers officially walking, but we don't know just yet. So with the two constants, the Keenan Allen and the Mike Williams, Mike Williams is the one I actually am t- have been targeting in early, early best ball leagues. I'll have best ball tiers on March 1st because right now I'm still dabbling and learning ADP, drafting with the Sharks that are just going to take my money in the next month as I'm still learning. But for the time being, Mike Williams is someone I've been targeting in the mid-rounds because – First of all, he's due for regression. The eighth most air yards among all wideouts last year, but still finished as the number 38 overall receiver. And if you look at the air yards tracker I already touted, uh, the Chargers have a league high 18 targets inside the 10-yard line available. And that, of course, assumes that Hunter Henry doesn't come back and a lot of other moving pieces. But either way, we know that's where Mike Williams thrived two seasons ago whenever Hunter Henry was injured. Uh, Philip Rivers leaned on him in particular more in the red zone just because he's a big bodied stout guy so I think that holds over and that will carry over even if Rivers isn't available and it's another quarterback just looking for a target inside the 20. That's certainly fair and I, I, I was a big Michael well, you remember this is let's go back to that draft and let's, you know, everybody seems to always forget and change their opinions and blah, blah, blah. And now a lot of people out there are probably going to think this and be like, well, yeah, that makes sense now because Corey Davis hasn't been doing much. But Corey Davis was essentially the consensus number one in that draft. But there were people arguing that Mike Williams could be better. So I just put that in. And now I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, I can't believe anybody ever said Corey Davis. Well, they did at the time. Point being that Mike Williams was very high up on the board, too. And this is what we're seeing here. And I, I do like that for the red zone, especially, especially when you're looking at the air yards and everything like that. All right, so now we're going to focus running backs, just a whole bunch of running backs here. First up, I saw Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> Let's talk. Uh. Although, I mean, I guess essentially he his situation might change. I don't think they're going to cut bait after one year, but we did see the Giants and Gettleman do the Odo Beckham thing, so you do never know. So, assuming as of right now, Le'Veon Bell, Le'Veon Bell back with the Jets. For all intents and purposes, John, he was consistent. He did average double-digit fantasy points. He did hit double-digit fantasy points in almost every game. It was just always between like nine and 14. So he never won you a week and he never he essentially turned into like James White. So for 2020, is this a buying opportunity or do you think we've, we've never going to see the good Le'Veon Bell again? I'm concerned, but as you said, the one thing we can hang his hat on is consistency. 16 carries and five targets per game. Uh, Adam Gase essentially only used one back all year long as long as Lev Bell was healthy. The issue was the offensive line is one of the worst in the league, and I, I maybe they get better over the offseason. Time will tell. But still, 3.2 yards per carry, atrocious, and his three rushing touchdowns came from two yards one yard and one yard out. <laughs> Literally not explosive whatsoever. And the lack of juice was really my concern in year one with the Jets. And that's what I don't know uh, we'll, we'll see next year. I, I have no idea to tell you the truth. I just know that the touches, if he's there and the backfield stays a similar build, the touches will be there. It's just a matter of the production and what comes with it. Yeah, I think so. For do you know where their offensive line ranked? Well, at, least, at least according to all football outsiders and run run blocking. Uh I don't want to say. I want to say the Bengals were probably dead last, and the Jets were thirty. No, no they, you, they? so you got one right. You got one right. The Bengals. <laughs> the, Bengals the Bengals. Yeah, that was <laughs> no, 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 no. The ba- no that that was what you're wrong with. Twenty six. They were they were actually Jacksonville, Kansas City, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Jets. Thirty one. You got them right on the nose. Oh, okay. So, Adjusted line yards, you're going to check this out, 3.8 for the Jets at 31. 
the Dolphins were 3.17. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know what? That makes sense because remember the preseason, the Dolphins had the highest uh, pressure rate allowed, even yeah. wh- whether it was Josh Rosen or Fitzpatrick under center. And that carried over into the regular season. So that makes sense. Yeah, so the, it's funny. The Jets were 31 and then 30th in adjusted sack rate. The Dolphins were 32 and 29th. Here's uh, just while I was pulling this up, here's a weird one. Which go back to Derrick Henry, which this is what Tennessee, fourth best in adjusted line yards, which is run blocking for everybody out there, in adjusted sack rate, dead last by a decent gap to the Redskins. So that's just something to tuck away for in the offseason. Just remember that. Just put that nugget somewhere for yourself. But let's talk about running back. That has nothing to do with these teams. But hey, within the division of the Dolphins, Devin Singletary. I'm going to throw this out there a certain way, John. Even if Frank Gore's back, he's essentially done at this point. He was essentially done in the second half of the season. He's I don't want to say he's irrelevant, but he's irrelevant to Devin Singletary. The only thing that could screw up Devin Singletary is if they shock the world and bring in I wouldn't even say a Kareem Hunt, but maybe somebody that they just don't. Well, I guess that's kind of part of the question. Let me ask you that. With Devin Singletary for next year, is your opinion going to change if they bring in somebody in free agency or in the draft with some power? Or do you think Singletary does have this backfield to himself? And if so, should we be considering Singletary as a high-end RB2? Maybe my opinion changes post-draft if they do add a big body back. But right now, I'm quite high on Singletary. Uh, I think he'll be one of the better buys of the offseason, honestly. Just just by allowing Frank Gore to walk, uh, that vacates 166 carries and a team-high 11 carries inside the five-yard line, which won't all trickle into Singletary's lap. It's going to go to Josh Allen as well. But right. that's so much more production and opportunity available for Singletary at the very least. And remember, 78% of the snaps over his last seven games, he played 96% of the snaps a career high in week 16 as they finally passed the torch on him before blowing that lead against the Texans in the wild card round. So no, it, it's someone I'm absolutely buying this year. And I don't think they add a veteran or honestly a goal line back. It made sense for Frank Gore because they had a tenured veteran to sort of teach Singletary as he grew into that role. But now in his second year, they don't need that established brain anymore. Like Singletary probably soaked up so much knowledge from Frank Gore that he can be a lead back. Like, yes, it's an issue that he's not that explosive. He's a lot of fun to watch and he breaks tackles, but he's not really that 20 plus yard run kind of guy. He's more of the grinded out type, honestly, almost like Frank Gore. But the opportunity alone, I'm absolutely buying. I'm very high on him. All right. I am too. I think, like you said, the the only concern would be something significant in the draft. And I'm not sure that they do. All this draft is ridiculous. They could draft something significant in like the fifth round at this point. So you, you do never know. All right. So here's another one. Mark Ingram. So Mark Ingram finishes ahead of Le'Veon Bell. Mark Ingram who's had a good season yet again. People love to hate him. Mark Ingram was eighth for half point PPR for everybody out there. But a little bit touchdown reliant because it also, if you look at his game log, he wasn't reliable like Le'Veon. Again, Le'Veon Bell wasn't great, but if you look at Mark Ingram, he had a 30, a 20, some another 20, another 20, but he also had one, two, three, four, five, six single digit performances. So going to next year with this offense, which I'm assuming a lot of people are going to say regression is coming, the negative regression back to less touchdown efficiency. Maybe the team doesn't run as well as a whole. But Mark Ingram going to next year, you're also going to get the, oh, now he's looking at 31 years old, possibly next year, which is until December, people. He just turned 30. 
but Mark Ingram as a whole for you for 2020, are you going to be out or in on Mark Ingram? I'm in. And this is coming from someone who took an L and was out last year on Mark Ingram. I just truly thought they were going to go with a three-way timeshare. And it was more of a 1A with Gus Edwards and very, very little usage of Justice Hill. Uh, and that's how this offense evolves in the offseason, by the way, is getting Justice Hill more involved next year. But Gus Edwards, exclusive rights free agent, so they'll definitely bring him back uh, with a late-round tender. And there's just no reason – I don't see any applicable reason whatsoever they go away from Mark Ingram, at least this next year. Um, I know people want it to happen to get Justice Hill more involved automatically, <laughs> but it, there, there's really like Mark Ingram was a cog of this uh, league or second highest run rate neutral and neutral uh, situations for this offense. There's just no reason to let him go or let him walk with only Gus Edwards and Justice Hill behind him. So no, Mark Ingram is again, another top, 15 by top 20 by I'd probably say top 15 right now and that's the biggest thing is I think he he's a biggest buy because people just love to hate Mark Ingram and yeah. I'm with you on that and, and it's like so said, safe like I was the donkey last year for being out on it like I should have seen it coming given the the guaranteed money and whatnot but no I was just absolutely wrong on the situation and I don't want to be wrong for the second year in a row when it doesn't <laughs> and there's no reason for the situation to change at all hundred percent. All right. So let's continue this with a lot of AFC so far. Uh, Marlon Mack. Actually, there's a lot of AFC in general here. Marlon Mack, you know, I, I said this at the beginning of the year and he had a better year than the other one. And this isn't to go be like, oh, look, I called this one. But I was out on Marlon Mack entirely this year because I said he's essentially Sonny Michelle. He's not used in the passing game. He doesn't have Andrew Luck anymore, so now you're talking about, well, he has to be Sonny Michelle and possibly not get as much touchdown opportunity because there is no Andrew Luck. So going into next year, Marlon Mack still had a good season. I, mean, I, I don't want to fault him too much, but for another person who also missed some time, seemingly always missing some time here or there, it, is it fair to just say, look, he, he's Sony Michelle, and if the worst-case scenario is if he turns into Sony Michelle of this year for next year, he's not even an RB2. It's tough for Marlon Mack and the Colts as a whole because the second half of their season was just so poor. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. One being Jacoby Brissett was uh, just played so poorly after his knee injury. It probably was lingering just a hair um, and affected his throwing. But either way, Mack averaged 19 carries per game through week 11 before he got injured and then came back and was essentially still managed to outwork Jonathan Williams and everyone else behind him as the true lead back. But the team just struggled immensely and took them out of games early. And not only that, but in fantasy, I would say, especially in the past two years, being involved at the very least in the passing game absolutely matters. And 14 catches all year, it just isn't going to cut it for a, for a dependable RB2. So while I do like Mac, it, it sounds like they're trying to extend him this offseason. Um, it's just a tough buy as a whole, considering they still have Naheem Hines, and that's who's going to continue to be involved in the passing game, not Mac. All right, exactly. And so, yeah, I'm. I, so it's, it's like his floor, like the floor is what we're worried about, right? And, and it's a, it's sort of a disaster unless he's catching passes, which he hasn't done. And that's why I'm kind of leaning towards if I can sell for somebody with, you know, spin the positive on it that he's somebody. And again, I know we're talking today and I prefaced this with the whole thing of like, you know, we're trying to find guys where situations shouldn't change too much. It sounds like, as you said, it sounds like Mac should be back. But I do think this is one where maybe the calls say, you know what, uh, you know, maybe we bring him back because the contract makes sense. And then we still draft somebody or we still bring somebody else in. And, and all of a sudden Mac turns into, like I said, that's he turns into Sonny Michelle next year where, 
you know, you get your first, second down, short yard runs, but the rest is going to be involved with somebody else. And because Naheem Hines hasn't obviously done much at this point, can't stay healthy. But you have the whole argument. Were you a Jordan Wilkins guy for the, all those that popped up at the end of the year? No, I was, I've always been a Jonathan Williams guy, though. I was very high on Jonathan Williams. And remember, uh, two years ago, Naeem Hines averaged eight targets in the four games Marlon Mack was injured for. So when Marlon Mack was injured last year, I actually went straight for Hines, not Wilkins or Williams. And, of course, the, them being the running team that they were at that time, middle of the season, it actually ended up being Jonathan Williams who paid off for that one game. And Naheem Hines was sprinkled in the next few until Mac got back. But, but we right. know now it's pretty much a committee unless it's Mac available. Right, 100%. All right, so a few more. I'll get you out of here. Uh, so let's stick, again, still in the AFC. But I want to talk about Leonard Fournette. And I'm going to spend my thought on Leonard Fournette first. He's starting to feel a little bit like Mark Ingram and the fact that I'm buying everywhere I can because he finally had a healthy season, 15 games, not a full 60, but 15. Healthy season, had 1,100 yards, had what people still don't realize, 100 targets, 76 receptions, 522 yards. Here's the thing for everybody out there, 16, almost 1,700 yards, including 76 receptions. Do you know off the top of your head? You might. You know off the top of the head how many total touchdowns he had this year? I want to say two. Close, three. Zero three, receiving, okay. three rushing. I am buying the living hell out of Leonard Fournette for that reason for next year because you want to talk about positive regression. You cannot get another almost 1,700 yards with 76 receptions and only score three times next year. And that was the case last year. It's literally the same situation, which is why I was buying him last year in the third round. You could literally get a bell cow running back in the third round, but everyone was only saying, oh, he's injury prone. Like, it's going to happen again. Like, that's not how it works. The injury he had two, <laughs> the injury he had two years ago was completely indifferent than the foot injuries he's had in the past. They were not the same whatsoever. And therefore, I wasn't worried about it. And again, coming into this year, I'm not worried about it. Because it's, as you said, the seventh most carries in the league, the, uh, the fourth most targets at his position. And that's going to be available again, I would say, in the late second, probably end of third or somewhere around there, um, all because he didn't score touchdowns. And yes, it is concerning that the long-term vision for the Jaguars is clearly lost, if not focused on something other than winning, which is my only concern for Fournette, is that bringing back Doug Marone and GM Dave Caldwell and playing two games in London as they are clearly, whether they want to admit it or not, clearly focused on getting their franchise eight games there. Um, that is maybe a concern this year. If everything just tanks and it becomes a worst case scenario for the franchise and the offense as a whole. But at this time, the workload will absolutely be there for Fournette. He's going to receive the same opportunity. And therefore, yes, just like you, I'm 100% in yet again. Yeah, Leonard Fournette. Let's do it. All right. We're going to get some NFC before we get out of here. And they're all in the NFC East. How about that? We're talking about everybody except for Zeke. I mean, we don't, whatever, Zeke. We're, you're cool. We don't care about you. <laughs> we do care about Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley, who this year, uh, argument, a lot of people did take him for the first pick. It was, if it wasn't the first pick, he was the second or third at worst. And it was a disappointing season. Disappointing, you could chalk some of it up to injury. Whatever it might be, you could make the argument, hey, he be who he is, forced himself back too quickly, and we finally started to see the real Saquon Barkley down the stretch. For everything that went wrong with Saquon Barkley, 
he still finished RB11 in 13 games with all the games of being ineffective when he didn't look like he was 100% because when he did, before he got hurt, was looking pretty good except for the game against Tampa Bay, which nobody was running against Tampa Bay this year, but then comes back, has some big games, that little lull of a stretch, and then finished off the season real strong. And you could argue, hey, it was against the Dolphins. It was against the Redskins. But, you know, he had a nice game against the Eagles, which nobody can run against either. So next year, completely new coaching staff situation. Uh, we have Daniel Jones head into year two. We have a questionable offensive line as well. The is not, you know, kind of middle of the pack. It's not as bad as some people want to make it out to be. Will Saquon Barkley be back into the conversation? I don't want to just say top five for you next year, John. I want you to tell me today, is Saquon Barkley in the conversation for the number two pick overall next year? Today, right now, he is my number two pick. Right behind there, Oh, there you go. Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I attribute everything, literally everything, to his high ankle sprain. I think it ruined him from the very beginning. Uh, and the fact Daniel Jones, who, yes, turned the ball over far too much, but just the fact he displayed flashes of brilliance only helps Barkley moving forward. Whether Even if they have a horrific offensive line next year, which I don't think they will, but even if they do, the fact is he's such a talented player, it doesn't matter, as he showed the, pre, the prior year. Um, my only concern would be their coaching staff, as you mentioned, because they sort of piece together what I think is the worst coaching staff in the league, or at least the most questionable one. Because Joe Judge could be great, but he's a complete unknown. And then adding Jason Garrett, Jason Garrett had some strengths, but play calling wasn't one of them. Uh, he wasn't really an X's and O guy that gave you an advantage. So OC is a, a weird thing, a weird title to give him, considering <laughs> he didn't call his own plays even. Uh, Freddie Kitchens, who's, who was well-known for his sloppy preparation during the week leading up to games as their tight ends coach. Patrick Graham, who coached the Dolphins to historically poor numbers on that side of the ball. And then New England's former wide receivers coach. It's like I said, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I wish for all teams to be good because that makes our jobs better, honestly. But the <laughs> fact is there are so many question marks on that staff. That would be my one question mark for Barkley as well. And that's certainly a concern. That's still one. number two. Still number two. Still number two. Uh, the funny thing is, is, you know, you kind of look at it, you're going to get a lot of people spinning it the other direction too, is you're going to get the, hey, Jason Garrett now essentially has less responsibility getting to focus just on the office. But like you said, he didn't call plays. And now you have Freddie Kitchens, all he has to worry about is tight end. So, you know, it's like all these guys with the experience of being head coaches. And so you can spin it both ways, but I'm kind of, I'm leaning a little bit more towards you. And then it's funny, um, I'm not trying to be like, oh, look at the show that I did, but, you know, the show that I was doing with D'Angelo Williams when we talked about this, his initial reaction when they hired Judge was positive. But when they started hiring Garrett and Kitchens and all this stuff, he said that's he's actually concerned this is now too many strong personalities in the fact of, hey, we've been head coaches all in one place. And so what happens, you know, Judge wants all this input, but what happens when you're in the meeting room and Judge wants this input – Garrett saying one thing, Kitchen saying another thing. This other guy, you know, and they think they're right because they've been head coaches. So it's gonna, it's. I think it's gonna be interesting to shake out. But I can see it. I, I, I'm conflicted right now between Cook and Barkley, but I think he deserves to still be in the conversation. So let's talk about one where we know what the coach does. The coach loves a committee. He loves it. That's. I mean, it might be his middle name. So Doug Peterson loves to do that. But because of injuries and situations, we kind of got to see a lot of Miles Sanders down the stretch. And he was, for what a lot of people, I don't know if you were, but myself included, were saying, you know, we just wait for the second half. Don't draft them, then buy low. And I wasn't even expecting it to work out this well. Like, let's be realistic. As much as I said that, I wasn't expecting it to be this good. 
But Miles Sanders for next year, knowing what Doug Peterson has done for his entire career, could we possibly be moving towards, hey, Miles Sanders is finally one to break Doug Peterson and get us a bell cow-ish? I would say bell cow in the term of like 60% of the touches for Doug Peterson. Or do you think he's going to bring somebody in and maybe Miles Sanders, and this is why I asked it, is, is Miles Sanders potentially a sell high right now in the offseason? I would imagine they bring one more person in behind Miles Sanders and Boston Scott, who was on the final year of the two-year deal he signed last year. Uh, having said that, Jordan Howard's a free agent. Darren Sproles is retired. So even if they bring in one more body, I actually do think we still see the Sanders we saw over the last six games, where he averaged 15 carries and five targets per. He's, he's basically opposite Marlon Mack, where not only do they <laughs> use him in the passing game, but he's very good in the passing game. That's his strength, and they know it. So just the fact that even in the playoffs, remember, Boston Scott got nine touches, but Miles Sanders was still not the bell cow, but the work, workhorse of the team. And his explosiveness and usage like that, which I'm assuming will carry over, even if they do add another body, I think that's what makes him a good buy. So I'm still going to be taking him, uh, I would say higher than last year, slightly, if only because it really did get out of hand towards the end of the year towards the end of the offseason um, after his raving reviews from training camp and offseason activities because uh, people love the kid. So, but I, yes, I do believe he's going to lead this backfield again. Okay. So would you, if I was out there floating him out there as a mid RB2, high end RB2, you're buying that? Let's go mid to low end, not high end. Okay. Well, so that's a good tell because there's some people out there who are probably significantly saying, hey, he's fringe RB1 at this point after what happened towards the end of the season. So, all right, there you go. A good little one for you there. All right, last one. Because we know, it's like you said, that's the only reason I don't have him as a high-end RB2 because no matter what, we know it's going to be a committee. I just think it's more of a 60-30-10 committee, which is still great for Sanders. All right. Okay. Last one. Darius Geis, who I want to compare to somebody we already talked about. He is essentially Leonard Fournette, but he's not just essentially Leonard Fournette. He is mimicking Leonard Fournette in every way, in every mix, in every possibility. Like you could look at it. Look, go back to college. Coming from LSU office that doesn't throw to the running backs, at least at the time. Didn't, people didn't realize Leonard Fournette, good pass catcher. People don't realize Darius Geis, good pass catcher. They've both had injuries. They both had multiple injuries, and now in their first two seasons in the NFL, we're looking for a full season of Darius Geis. Now, a little bit different is Geis' injuries, you could say, are a little bit more concerning. And would say at this point, his team might be a little bit more concerning. But Dwayne Haskins, before getting hurt, finally started to so, show a little bit of the appeal of why they drafted him. Uh, they might actually be able to bring Trent Williams back now that they got rid of the coaching staff and made the changes that they did. And now you have Ron Rivera there. So Darius guys for next year, obviously you're not drafting him as an RB2. But can you see Darius guys finishing as an RB2? And like I said, kind of going down the Leonard Fournette career path right now. The injuries are what make it so tough. Uh, I will say to his situation, I do like it. I expect Adrian Peterson to be back, if only because the club option is $3.1 million. That's, that's pennies considering what he gave them in the interim last year. I just um, want him to go away. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I do too for fantasy purposes, but he's just he's the front gore. He's never going away. He's just always going to be around. Uh, having said that, I still think Geist does enough, particularly in the passing game, to, yes, value him as a I'm, – I'm going to put him high to mid RB3, which may not be appealing to some, 
But it's, again, the injuries. And in the offseason, my one mantra is typically to avoid players who are injured. But it just seems like Geis is perpetually injured. Even going back to high school, the, uh, the ACL and the injuries that have plagued him his entire career. He, had, he did flash, of course. Uh, ten, remember that game, 10 carries, 129 yards, and two touchdowns towards the end of the year on only 30% of the team snaps, which is insanity, this, even though it came against the league's worst rushing defense in the Panthers. But right. the fact they added Scott Turner, that's actually a hire that went incredibly under the radar just because of the experimentation he did with the Panthers' backfield. Christian McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel towards the end of the year once they let North Turner go. So I'm excited about uh, the receiving uh, backs being used in the receiving game and Scott Turner's offense. And it, again, like I said, it comes down to Geis's health, which I'm concerned about, but it's enough to at least make him a high end RB three for me. Yeah. So, so- <laughs> 22 to 25. And honestly, uh, I could see, I, I could definitely get yelled at for that because that's, that probably, <laughs> slightly too high given his history and the, here's the thing is if you want hopefully there's so, there's somebody like me in your league because i'm a sucker for Darius guys okay. actually uh, like hey if i'm in your league you know go go field an offer because i'm buying all the Darius guys because I, I do agree with everything you said the, the one thing is though also coming out of college the other thing is i did say that i thought he was better than leonard Fournette, not by miles i just said like basically 110% of what Leonard Fournette was. I thought he would be the better version. So if he could just, and I know we say this about a lot of players, but if he could just put it all together for a full season, 15 games, if you gave me 15 games, let me put it this way. Let me, add, let me present a question. We'll get out of here on this. Let me present it this way to you, John. If we got 15 games in a Leonard Fournette and 15 games at a Darius Geis, do you think they Geis, could finish? Guys, it's not even close. Okay, good. Boom, yeah. on the same page. Guys is just a much more explosive player. There's reasonable arguments to be had that Fournette is not even, like, shouldn't, isn't the ideal back for today's NFL. Like, almost he should be a backup in today's league because he just doesn't fit the profile um, of what teams should be looking to have. But guys, if I could guarantee health and similar touches, it, 110%. It's not even close. It's guys. Nice. Love it. I love. I love leaving on something where I can grease so much on because it's one. We, of we hedge at the end. It's okay. <laughs> we, we met in the middle. Yeah, we did. Uh, speaking of one of my boys again, make sure you're following John at non J. That's what that's the, not J A Y, just the letter J Daigle. And again, one more just to reiterate for everybody out there, John, what you got coming up, the air yards, all that type of stuff, and your good the good stuff you have going on at Roto World. At not J Daigle, unfortunately, on Twitter. Uh, available air yards and carries <laughs> trackers at Roto World, as well as I am doing a weekly XFL usage column, which will be out every Tuesday afternoon. Oh, I love yeah, it. I jumped into the XFL waters. Who's, do you have a team? Uh, Dal- so I'm actually rooting for the New York Guardians only because, so I grew up, uh, you could probably tell by my accent, in the Dallas area. Uh, and since I've lived everywhere else outside of Dallas since I'm 20 and that was since I've been 20 and that was 12 years ago, um, I've kind of always wanted to be in the situation to like, you know, you have a child, which I'm not doing anytime in the near future, but you have a child (laughs) and then they get to root for that team that's closest to them and the closest vicinity, even though their father roots for a team in the city he grew up in. Right. And so now, now I'm in a situation where I live in Stanford, Connecticut, next to NBC headquarters. So the closest team is the New York Guardians. So I was like, okay, I can adapt the New York team. That's kind of fun. So I am rooting for the Guardians. Uh, they have a good defense, so I'm excited. And uh, every Tuesday, that 
And then, of course, um, on March 1st, I'll be releasing my best ball tiers. If you want to check those out because that's when I start playing heavily. And the Roto World Football Podcast, which just won the FSWA Award for uh, Best Fantasy P- Football Podcast. Yeah, I was going to say if you're going to get that in here. Of course. I was, I was very happy. Even though it's funny because they only called out Josh Norris, who's my boy. I was boy. just about to say that. I, I was like, I <laughs> lo- yeah, but who's, who's paying attention? Who's, who's <laughs> noticing? I, I saw that. I was like, uh, all right, I guess it's Josh Norris's podcast. Because I remember watching the one uh, where you were at the Super Bowl. And I was like, whoa, you know, there's more than one people on this or but, person on the podcast. <laughs> but for the record, no, like I learned, I, I can't stress enough how important Josh is to Roto World in general. He does so much behind the scenes that no one even knows about. And if you go around the industry, uh, you know, there will be something, even for me, I'm sure people say some things behind my back. I assure you, I have never met anyone who said a bad thing about Josh Norris. He is truly the best, and it's great just getting to learn from him. Yep, and if you want to ever meet somebody that people hate and talk about all the time, meet me. And there you go. <laughs> That's not true at all, either. <laughs> Terrible person in person. But uh, Go Battlehawks for me, by the way. Love the uniforms. Uh, oh, Heine- okay. Heineke's not playing. Like, well, he's, he's not starting for them, which makes me upset because I went to ODU too, but I love the uniforms. I was Battlehawks from the jump off. And look at the upset, the early upset with defense. Defense in the XFL, everybody. But please, make sure you're following John and all the good work over there. Again, if you want to go to theathletic.com. Actually, no, you don't even do that. Just go find the draft kit. You get 40% off. I'll be back next week. Again, as always, once a week, it's the offseason. Good times had by all. And thanks again to John. I'll see you guys later. Have a good one.